Santa's watching, Santa's creeping. Now you're nodding, now you're sleeping. Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. Welcome to Now Playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night retrospective series. This fella dressed as Santa. He said about killing them that was naughty. Hosted by Stuart. What the hell's wrong with that kid? Arnie. I don't sleep. And Marjorie. Well, I stop seeing these creepy things. I hate it. Each week, we will be unwrapping and reviewing another film in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Leading up to a review of the remake, coming out in December. Christmas. The number one holiday for people going nuts. But be warned. Opening this gift will give you detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Merry fucking Christmas. Santa's creeping, now you're nodding, now you're sleeping. Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. There might be... Today we're discussing Silent Night, Deadly Night... Part 2, starring Eric Freeman, James L. Newman, Elizabeth Clayton, and every single person from the last film. (laughs) (laughs) Directed by Lee Harry. I'm Arnie, and it's podcast day! (laughs) I finally know what that means! My life is complete. It's Stuart in L.A. This is Marjorie, and I've heard Arnie spouting this ever since we watched this movie, and Thursday happens to be our garbage day. So he recorded a nice little wave of himself and sent it to me as a text message to remind me. Every garbage day is now going to remind me of this. You know, I thought we were doing a series that was covering Christmas, but now I realize it is going to be about my sanitation engineers. (laughs) It's changed the whole way I think about recycling. Speaking of recycling, they really recycled that first movie, didn't they? (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying, yes. Believe it or not, on the DVD I way overpaid for comes with a commentary from the writer, director, and the shrink from this movie. Nice. The shrink thought they were there to do an MST3K, and the other two were actually trying to describe the process (laughs) of making this film. I thought they were going to go garbage day on the actor midway through the commentary. It's actually really uncomfortable. But the producer and writer, in fact, all of them were trying to break into Hollywood, and they were hired by a studio to work on a film. Nobody ever got paid from this. They did it, told they would be paid a minimal amount of money, and on the commentary, they're like, wait, I never did get that check. I remember fighting for the check and never getting the check. Oh. Well, was this even released? You can't get money if you didn't make any money. I don't ever recall this one coming out. Unlike the last one, which I have vivid memories of protesters and it appearing at a local theater, the profits from it, if such a thing exists, couldn't have been much. No, it lost money. It was released in some theaters, maybe one theater. Its total box office gross was $154,000. $154,000? And it cost a quarter of a million to make. They wanted to spend no money. What they did was they brought in a writer and director and said, here's the last movie. Recut it so we can release it as a sequel. They even, if you notice in this recut version part two, sometimes the score gets really loud. It's because they're playing their new score over the old score because they don't have the original audio mix. Like I said, this is ecology. This is a blueprint for the future. This is how we can uh, recycle our junk. I totally appreciate what they're trying to do here, but that is madness. That is absolutely madness that they thought they could shoot no new footage and produce a new movie without any footage that didn't appear in the last movie. I mean, that's hilarious. I believe that their thinking was, because it was pulled out of theaters so quickly, nobody saw the first (laughs) one. (laughs) Which would mean you could re-release the original, but not release it as its own sequel. I think that that's where the disconnect is. Several times, a pop single might get released, it doesn't chart, and then a couple years later it's featured in a movie or commercial, and all of a sudden there's a resurgence and people want to buy it. That I get. Tarzan, boy! (laughs) But I don't think, I just do not think that you can say, hey, remember that movie you didn't see three years ago? Well, here is the sequel, and by the way, it's actually the original. I mean, that's just all kinds of fraud. 
So they ended up saying they needed framing sequences to at least contextualize and do some new voiceover for the old scenes. Correct. We need to shoot new footage. That is correct. And as I think you can imagine, Stuart, somebody with Hollywood ambitions, you want to be a director, you want to be an actor, you get a foot in the door, you're going to try to do everything you can, make every personal sacrifice you can, call in every favor you can to turn this shit into lemonade. And this is the result. I can't say it's lemonade, but... It seems that this movie would have resulted in somehow the movie powers that be that regulate all this stuff make some kind of rule that you have to have X percentage original movie. But that didn't happen, I'm guessing. (laughs) Well, I do see that the original writers, who I don't think worked on this at all, are credited on the screenplay. There's six people credited, and two of them are the people that wrote the last movie. It is. It is so much like the last one that you'd have to give those original writers credit. I think they also had to give the original actors credit. The commentary actually talked about how they had to go back to all the actors, and we'll talk about it when they're redoing the sex scene in the orphanage from the first one. Those are actually new actors because the previous actors wanted a lot of money for reuse of their nudity. (laughs) I didn't notice that, but I'm not really thinking about the last movie. Maybe I did need Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 because I'd already kind of pushed that one outside of my head. So, Arnie, why don't you go ahead and remind us about that first movie and tell us what new they do here. You better watch out, you better not cry, you best not wear red, I'm telling you why. Bad Ricky will chop off your head. (laughs) His mama was raped. Dad shot in the head His brother went nuts Killed lots of folks dead Ricky's big brother Was Billy You know all about Billy He was the first movie But we're gonna show it All again His entire life story So, after Billy was killed, Ricky was traumatized, but a Jewish family helped him stabilize, until Ricky's stepfather died. I think he saw some nuns, too, but yeah. Yeah, the the nuns (laughs) triggered it. There was a couple of things that set him off. Ricky killed a rapist that caused flashbacks of mom, but he found a girlfriend who helped give him calm. Ricky thought she was a virgin. (laughs) Her ex-boyfriend came back, a jerky douchebag. Ricky finally snapped when he found out they'd shacked. Ricky's madness was finally free. He electrocuted Chip and strangled his girl. Shot a cop in the head, gave mass murder a whirl. Ricky went on a shooting spree. Carpet day! He was sent to a shrink to control his rage. He finally found out what war he should wage. Ricky blames the nun who raised him. He killed Dr. Bloom, Mother Superior. Was Ricky's next kill, he became cheerier. When he cut off the old nun's head. But cops came after Ricky and shot him lots of times. He then fell through a window. Cops think they've stopped Ricky's crimes. But the good nun came to see Ricky dead. When he opened his eyes, she about lost her head. Ricky may come back for Ricky may come back for Ricky may come back for Part 3 Bravo! I gotta say, we're still 24 shopping days before Christmas, but I think I just opened my biggest present here. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah! This movie does make me feel like I can go on with this series now. 
I honestly, after the first one, also had very low hopes for where this would go. I was like, I don't know that I could deal with five of these. It was so dour, so mirthless, so poor. Had lots of tits, so I was okay with that. But here, it's all the tits half the time. (laughs) (laughs) They actually need to put in the mom titty shot twice here. They do two flashbacks to it, in case you forgot about it from the flashback at the beginning of the movie. They do it in the middle again. I mean, it's brilliant here. But this is back when women had real breasts. That's true. But they were nice real boobs. Had to see him a lot. If this had been located in L.A., this could have been that kind of production. But um, no, I think this was brought to us by the good people in Utah or Canada or something. Well, the first one was brought to us from the Mormons in Salt Lake. But (laughs) the second one quite obviously is coming from somebody's neighborhood in (laughs) L.A. Because... All the flashbacks are taking place in the snowy mountainous range, and yet all the new scenes, even though it's Christmas garbage day, (laughs) it's sunny, it's warm, there's palm trees. It is a truth about out here. Right now, if I look outside my window, it looks exactly like it does in the middle of July. We just don't have seasons out here. So it gets a little colder and people do put on coats and it always makes me laugh. But honestly, there is really no temperature change much here in L.A. and definitely no snow. But I mentioned Canada because one of the people given story credit is a conservative Canadian politician now. (laughs) He's going to clean up that city on garbage day. I really do think that that is the platform you have to use. It's awesome. I was really, really concerned because we start off and it's Ricky now played by Eric Friedman, who maybe if you, like me, were a huge Just the Ten of Us fan and never missed an episode, you've seen him work again in one episode there. (laughs) I am a huge Eric Friedman fan now. I've got to say, I think his work is brilliant. Dead eyes and the liveliest eyebrows I've ever seen. (laughs) It's like jumping caterpillars. It's incredible. The affected, I'm eight years old, trying to sound like Clint Eastwood, dirty, hairy voice, all of this. I am with this guy from the first tapping of his loafers and chain smoking. I love Ricky. It took me a while to catch on to him. I just thought he was terribly overacting, which was good because his big brother, Billy, underacted everything. (laughs) They wanted us to care so much for a poor old Billy and gave us such a backstory of abuse to try and make us go with his killing. Here, yes, because I'm laughing instantaneously at this guy, I'm much more empathetic. I'm much more on his side, oddly enough. Again, I'm going into all these movies. I think we're all newbies to this series, but I am especially going in so spoiler free. I was really surprised at all that this one tied to the first one. I figured, again, like Prom Night, this could just be a weird kind of anthology of Christmas murders. I didn't know that they would tie back to Billy. I mean, a horror movie being what it is, Billy could come back from the grave. They could go with Ricky. That was kind of what they teased us. Definitely the way that they implied the ending of the last movie was that little Ricky was now going to deliver the punishment. The axe had been bequeathed to him quite literally in the final shot. I was hoping it was going to be Ricky. I wasn't sure it was going to be Ricky. And as soon as the Dr. Bloom comes in with his reel-to-reel and says the name Ricky, I'm relieved. I'm happy. It's making me smile that they're going to be that much of a direct tie to the last one. I was kind of hoping it'd be like a Friday the 13th situation where the first one, you know, it was his mom and then it was Jason and Ricky would take it over. And I was expecting a whole heck of a lot more of Santa Claus killing people rather than somebody's psychiatric conversation. And then the first movie, which I already saw. I'm kind of hoping still maybe in the third one we can get Grandpa back. But he cut out of this one. They tell most of the original movie. He's one of the things they cut. They do a lot of revision here. They do. And it's really weird the things they change. They do cut out Grandpa, which I said last time I had thought Grandpa would come back to play a part in the story. I understand cutting Grandpa. They probably couldn't cut it from the original one and still maintain the length required by the MPAA to be called a feature. <laughs> Well, Ricky wasn't there when Grandpa spouted his craziness about Santa Claus. So I don't know where Ricky's getting these memories. 
Ricky's memories are kind of impressive. I wish I had this kind of retention. He is an infant. I mean, he is maybe, what, three months old in 1971 in that original movie. And yet he remembers as vividly as someone sitting in the movie theater exactly how his mom's breasts were exposed to the elements as she was being attacked and throat slit. I mean, it's just the same footage. It is exactly the same movie. But... With little twists here and there that, you're right, they have a new last name. Did no one go back to check what the last name was? They were the Chapmans, now they're the Caldwells. Why? Perhaps it's something they did for Ricky to distance himself from the gruesomeness of his family's, his parents' murder, and then what his brother did. Perhaps that's something the orphanage, that sister Margaret or whatever, really seemed to take a shine to these boys. That's true, and that's another revision, is Ricky was having a good time at the orphanage. He was the one doted on. Mother Superior was like, oh, you're the good one. She hated Billy, but she never was mad at Ricky. And the weirdest change for me is in the first one, when the cop kills that wrong Santa, they're like, oh, it's the deaf priest who's coming to be Santa. Father O'Brien, yes. This time it's the deaf janitor. Old man Kelsey, yes. (laughs) I don't know why that is. Maybe even their bullshit meter broke when they thought about the likelihood that a priest could give sermons being completely deaf. I don't know, but a totally needless change from the original doesn't add anything by doing it this way. But sure, old man Kelsey, I guess it's just as ridiculous as Father O'Brien. And we start with these flashback scenes, and it's not that unusual. I mean, if we go back to our first retrospective series, Friday the 13th, Every movie started with flashbacks from the previous one, sometimes the entire last scene from the previous one. I think Friday the 13th Part 2 started with basically the entire climactic battle from the end of Part 1. I'm used to maybe 5 or 10 minutes even of footage from the original. But when he goes after Leanna Quigley, I mean, I was torn. I wanted to see those tits again, but I didn't think it was germane to Ricky's story. And then he goes after the bullies. I'm like, it is every kill and every tit shot from the first movie. But it let me see that if that first movie was perhaps a Tales from the Crypt episode, it would have worked because I like that movie cut in half. Arnie, none of this was germane. They didn't have enough for a second movie or didn't have the money. This is what they had to do. More to the point, it's really bizarre that Ricky would even know these things. I can go somehow with the idea that imprinted on him in some Freudian way as a baby, he processed his parents' murders and he remembers all the early stuff at the orphanage. He was not there when Billy killed the four people in the toy store or at the sled. I mean, there were no eyewitnesses. He would have no knowledge of any of this stuff when he goes into the house full of black velvet tigers. He is not a reliable narrator here. It's just the wrong idea. And he's not putting a more positive spin on it. He's not like, yeah, Billy really got that bitch. It's just the same as before with the same point of view. I think this would have been a chance to portray Billy as a wronged person, a hero, a martyr. But no, it's very matter of fact. Honestly, at this point, I just had to call shenanigans on the whole movie. It's ridiculous. Ricky, he's not a good storyteller, and they went way too far with it. It's like you're just wishing he would shut up and get to killing people already. That's kind of how I was feeling. I was laughing, though. I think that the interjections in between, I think you're kind of on to something, Arnie. By cutting that last movie down to the fun bits, and then having this exchange between the 13th shrink to evaluate Ricky and him just giving these overheated line deliveries. I don't sleep. I mean, all of this stuff, it goes down easier than the last movie. I honestly think that the way they tell the first movie in part two is better than at its full length last time. Absolutely, because it cut out all the crap where I was like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Oh, hey, they're killing somebody. I'm bored. And condensed it all into one little nugget. It was the same nugget that it took to get Billy killing. If you recall, it was 40 minutes before Billy snaps in the toy store and starts killing his co-workers. It's the exact same time for Ricky to tell that story and then get to his own personal killings. So in that way, they're keeping pace. This does not follow a normal horror movie plot the way it's going. Is this something else that's like avant-garde or something? Or is it just they suck? 
it would be a difficult task to be told that you don't have a complete movie to tell. All I can say is I'm still paying attention. It's to the credit of all the people participating that I'm still watching. Incredulously and a little angrily and wondering exactly when and if I'm going to get a full movie, but I'm not bored. I'm not bored in this 40 minutes. I'm more just perplexed. Perplexed mixed with amusement. I agree completely because when I come to a movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, I'm not looking for high art. I'm not looking to be challenged. I'm looking for a little exploitation. In the last one, I really was bored. In this one, looking at the movie as a whole, there is so much exploitation that occurs, nudity and violence, in the entire film, and you don't go five minutes without tits or blood. You really don't. And you take that first movie and chop it down this way, it makes it palpable more. It makes it so you don't have to sit through the arduous first movie to get here the way you might have to if this movie had just started where that 40-minute mark is when Ricky finally starts telling his own part of the story. But when watching this, not knowing what to expect, not knowing that these people were just told to make a movie out of the old movie, Pretty much a fan edit, if you will. I did wonder how much of the original movie was going to keep coming, and if there would be more than just this framing sequence with the three actors in there. I somehow missed out on the internet meme of Garbage Day. I had no idea what present lied under this tree, but I just wondered, would they have a point to get to? The only reason I found this first half at all arduous is because we just watched this first movie last week. Yeah. They've done a tremendous good deed here. You never have to watch the first movie. And now the second movie is a double feature of joy. That's exactly right. Is It eliminates the need to go back and watch the first one. Sometimes you get dragged to a sequel and like, I haven't seen the first one. You don't ever need to. That's right. It's just the good bits here. And there's something that got clarified in watching this time. For the most part, I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen here. But I re-understood the Mother Superior moment at the end in a different way. The movie ends with Billy coming into the orphanage to kill her, and she's telling the children there's no real Santa Claus. I thought that she was trying to say that Billy wasn't the real Santa. No, she's in the middle of all this mass murder. She's trying to poo-poo on Christmas. She's trying to say that Santa Claus doesn't exist. That they've rewritten her as a character that doesn't like the rituals of Christmas. And so when she comes back into the picture later, that's how she's characterized. That's why she's going to die, quite frankly. I thought that was a surprise rewrite. Now, with Ricky's story, I don't think that they necessarily went inventive. But I feel that they went back to John Carpenter. I think that this is the middle child between John Carpenter's original Halloween, where a killer kills as a child and then breaks out of a nuthouse as an adult to go on more killings, and perhaps Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween, where we're going to spend a lot of time with the child as a child and seeing his upbringing. Because we get to see what happens to Ricky, not just as a crazy adult, but his upbringing where the two deaths, Billy and the priest slash janitor, and then Ricky found a home in a house that doesn't celebrate Christmas. Martha and Marty Rosenberg are going to take him in, and I think it's what we're told is because he's shielded from all of the imagery of Christmas, that's why he gets to have an adolescence. He probably would have been a child killer had he gone to Christians. And he's basically like a bull, isn't he? He's triggered by the color red. <laughs> I thought it'd be a much more interesting movie if he just instantly killed everybody who wore red and just shoot, stab, axe people who are wearing red. Honestly, at this point, I was starting to think that maybe it was exactly this. It was someone that had snapped and, yes, is now triggered by nun imagery. I mean, he hates nuns the way that Billy hated Santa. I thought he could end up in a habit at the end of this. I didn't know he would end up in a Santa suit. They definitely would have had the clergy out protesting if you had a guy dressed in drag as a nun killing people. Mental note, I am now going to write a screenplay about a man dressing a drag as a nun killing people. It will be a You don't have to do any publicity. They'll take care of it for you. But just like Big Brother Billy, Ricky's first kill is stopping a date rape. Here, there's two fairly unattractive actors who can't find other work having a picnic in a field when the hick guy starts to rape her. And when she slaps him, he then decides he's going to go get a beer, then come back and rape her. So Ricky 
runs over the hick with his own red Jeep, and the woman responds the way I thought it might go in the last one. She thanks him for killing her rapist. I kind of thought Billy got a bad rap when the guy in the stock room was raping the girl, and Billy hung him with the Christmas lights, and the woman went all, Oh my God, you're a psycho! Well, okay, now let's think about this. You just had a traumatic, almost, experience, and then this lunatic in a Santa outfit comes in and just kind of goes overboard in protecting you. It's like, oh my god, there's a fly. Let me just nuke the world. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's why this woman gets to live and Pamela is dead, because she said thank you after he repeatedly drives over the corpse. If Pam had been more grateful, maybe he would have walked out of that Iris toy store back room and not given her the knife. But then I thought I was so clever because I noticed that the car was red and then adult Ricky goes, red car, good point. (laughs) I needed to be told. I didn't realize that it was really going to be a color setting him off this time. And it just plays this comedy. Then Bloom goes and grabs a hanky to wipe his brow at some point and it's a monogram with a red B on it. It's white and red. I'm just like, oh, wow. This is really the methodology for Ricky. It's that anything white and red could send him into a homicidal panic. In some ways, that seems easily controlled, right? Not at the 4th of July. (laughs) You just put him in the white room and he should be very docile the second kill may be my favorite in the movie even though it's complete nonsense ricky is now taking out the trash because he couldn't afford to go to college i got a job (laughs) (laughs) that was great this is a man for our economically woeful times just ask your parents for the loan go work at shea ritz and there's a mob knee breaker (laughs) just in the back alley that's random Rocco is beating up on what's characterized as a squirrel getting his nuts squeezed, and he has a red hanky. It's the red hanky, not the bad behavior, that gets Ricky to intervene. He is just, with his eyes and his facial expressions, this guy needs to be like a clown. Even under all that pancake makeup, his facial expressions would come through. I knew he was going to get killed, but I didn't know how or why. I didn't know where Santa was going to get involved. And Umbrella? Totally random? Who saw that coming? Well, it was red and white. It fit the color scheme, but I did not notice it until its moment of implementation. And I guess it was kind of a nice little trick to have it open after it had impaled him. I applauded. They almost couldn't release this movie to the couple of theaters it went to because of the Umbrella moment. Really? The MPAA said the Umbrella was an X because they actually had a butcher's liver hanging off of it. And so they had to cut it down. But if you look closely, you can still see some of the meat hanging off the Umbrella. I think the MPA just had something up its ass about another Killer Santa movie. I think they just wanted this movie to be stifled because the last one was so controversial. that This kill is not particularly graphic, or rather any more graphic than a lot of things that were released during that time. But whatever. It's hilarious. And it also seems to trigger a spontaneous rainstorm. (laughs) What happened to the guy being beaten up? Did he just run away? He just fell over, beaten, and Ricky left him alone, even though it looked like he was wearing some really fashionable red pants. (laughs) Right. So it's interesting. We have two kills in which we're still, quote-unquote, on Ricky's side, partly because he's taking a stance in a situation where we hate the person being killed. They keep us with him because he's targeting a rapist and an ankle breaker. He's a vigilante. So we're on his side, and I guess we're not supposed to notice that these people are wearing red. I'll be honest, I was really bored for a lot of this, too. I wasn't bored. I was having a blast. These kills are over the top and ridiculous, but it's taken me back to the time this movie came out and the USA Up All Night type of stuff I would watch. I'm having fun. I am not bored. Where I really get engaged is when they bring in the love story, Jennifer. (laughs) I recognize Jennifer. AMC had run all the Friday the 13th movies before Halloween, so just a few weeks ago, I rewatched Friday the 13th Part 7 for fun, not for a podcast, and she was in it. Oh, was she one of the annoying friends that hated the psychic girl? (laughs) Yes. Yes, she was. But here she plays Jennifer, a hot blonde without a red car. Yeah, they bump into each other in a parking lot, literally, and have some of the most inanimate sex I've ever seen. (laughs) I didn't see a single movement there. And there's like this scene of her on the back of Ricky's bike. And I really thought for a moment they weren't just reusing footage from the first one, but maybe from a Eddie Money music video from the 80s. 
But yeah, they have really dull sex, but this could be it, right? She could be Ricky's salvation. There could be no more kills until they go to that auditorium that's pretending to be a movie theater. Yes, but it was straight out of Saved by the Bell. That's what it looked like was a Saved by the Bell movie theater, we both thought, where they put the folding chairs in it and it's a little tiny room. This is where I finally crystallized what the voice was. Up to this point, I'm like, is it Clint Eastwood? Is he trying to do Clint Eastwood? But if you'll notice, they are watching a trailer for a movie called Chaos the Movie. And the guy who's announcing all the gore and the violence in that movie is doing the same kind of vocal inflections that Ricky's doing. It's the movie phone guy as a serial killer. I think that's brilliant. Because we got this guy in the back who's heckling and calling him a faggot. And we know he's going to get it. But then they really twist it because we find out what movie they're going to be watching. And it's Silent Night, Deadly Night! They actually found another way to keep reusing more footage. I thought we were done with flashbacks, but no. Let's put in more of the other movie by having it be the movie that they're actually watching. I thought they were watching some drama. They were watching Silent Night, Deadly Night. I did not catch that. Because during the trailer for Chaos, which was bloody, Billy's all engaged, and she goes, oh, you like that stuff? She was not into horror movies. I thought they were watching a heartwarming Christmas film, not the original. Look, the line in the sand is drawn when Santa Claus is a killer with Ricky, okay? I thought Ricky was having flashbacks. I didn't know those were scenes from the movie. I thought it was a flashback. How would Ricky know that Santa Claus killed the convenience store guy? I know this because Billy told me. (laughs) That's what's great about it. He's watching a movie about his own life and didn't realize it. I think he either goes to kill the projectionist. I'm hoping he goes to kill the original screenwriters and director. I don't know. He disappears for a short while and then we're introduced to Chip. Chip. I looked this guy up. Unfortunately, this man never worked again. I don't know how that travesty occurred because he looked a lot like Fish from Ally McBeal. He just had this look that was very familiar to me. And no, this will be the only place you ever see him other than perhaps serving you sushi in L.A. And this is where we find out Jennifer's terrible dark secret. She is not a virgin. Her first time was with Chip in the backseat of his car. And she mentions that he ruined her best sweater. I'm just like, does every man in this movie have sex by first tearing off the clothes of the woman? Like, does no one believe in zippers and buttons? That's not how you're supposed to do it. (laughs) Stop ripping my clothes, Arnie! That's where all the money is going to the wardrobe people. I mean, this is ridiculous. I thought he Lewinsky'd the sweater. I didn't know he That's what I thought, too. I (laughs) thought it was a Lewinsky situation. Oh, okay, maybe. Also, he's hitting on Jennifer, A, in the movie theater, and B, while on a date with another girl. (laughs) And she still goes out with him. They, like, leave arm in arm after she watched him hit on his ex-girlfriend. It's a testament to how gripping Silent Night, Deadly Night is that all of this can be going on in a movie theater while it's playing and no one is looking at the screen. But I came around to Chip's side when I saw he had a red Mustang. (laughs) I suddenly like Chip a lot. Well, that red Mustang will be the death of him, literally. (laughs) It it apparently needs a new battery, though, because he's charging it on the street. (laughs) I guess in this world, Chip is rich because, yeah, he at least has a car, even if it's not working. But Ricky had the motorcycle. We saw them on that. And she has a car. She hit Ricky's bike. So I don't know why they need this guy in his aviator glasses. They need him because they want to fry him with a car battery. And it is glorious. This is where all the money went that the people didn't get in their paychecks. (laughs) The little lightning effect inside his mouth. They animated it. The single best technical effect of the whole movie is Chip's death. They go through the production values of having Chip's eyes explode. This is what I want in a horror movie is exploding eyeballs. It's a lot of fun, and this is where they make up for lost time. This is why he's in an institution, is that he just completely loses it. Jennifer, she gets it next, and you would have thought they would have played that one out. You know, this is the girl he loved, this is the one we're going to linger on this moment that he now has to kill her. Uh Uh-oh! She goes running away and gets choked with a car antenna and forgotten. We don't even get, like, an insert shot of her lying dead. I mean, she's just one of a series of, I believe, seven or eight people here that totally get it. But you're missing this scene where she's yelling at Ricky is Ricky's best eyebrow acting because he's squinting his eyes and having flashbacks of Mother Superior and projecting Mother Superior on Jennifer. And he's like doing this weird blinking like a flash just went off in his face and his eyebrows are going up and down like an EKG spike. (laughs) 
I hear that Eric Freeman has actually gotten work from this now that this has re-entered pop culture and they're trying to cast him in movies now because they want his bad acting to heighten, to give the star power to their low-budget horror movies. But no one can find him is the problem is what I've read on the internet is they try to get him back for the commentary track, but he is untraceable. He has been found. David Decado has found him. He makes softcore homoerotic horror porn. Nuh-uh! <laughs> yes, he said he has used him in two films. So, they're out there. They're not on IMDb, I don't think. I know they're not on IMDb. The last thing on IMDb is he showed up for gays in the military on In Living Color with Damon Wayans. Yes. The point is that he is not proud of his resume and is not updating his personal page. These pages on IMDb tend to be moderated by the actors themselves. He's not promoting himself, but there is more of Eric Freeman out there if you should choose. Unfortunately, I don't like where the scene goes. A cop just happens to come by while he's strangling Jenny, and he disarms the cop, takes the gun, kills the cop, and then goes on a shooting spree. I don't understand it. Every kill to this point has been motivated. It's not Christmas. There's no nuns. No, it's not Christmas. It's garbage day. <laughs> Never gets old, but I love it. You're saying you don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. I am just loving it. You know, the cop getting the gun turned on him and shot in the head. The guy in the football jersey that splatters his porch. Yeah, the guy taking out his trash. Whoever was in that car, however many people get shot in it explodes. That was where they spent the money, too. I'm sitting here going, oh, this is kind of lame. It's just gun violence. I said in the last one that Billy followed serial killer rules. No two kills were the same. You give a serial killer a pistol, you're taking me out of it, actually. I find that dull. Ricky's getting a higher body count here. It may not impress you with the creativity of the way he's taking them out, although he's impressing me, I gotta say, the antenna particularly. But he's already killed more people than Billy ever did. Well, he had more than one night to do it. Yeah. But whatever I lose comes right back with Garbage Day. <laughs> <laughs> that is tremendous. I did not know this was an internet meme. Somehow I missed it. I've seen Spaghetti Cat, I've seen Chocolate Rain, I've seen Dramatic Gopher, but until watching this movie and then doing the post-research, I did not know Garbage Day was a thing, but it certainly is in our house now every Thursday. Yes. Yes, the only question is, is this all that you need to see of Silent Night, Deadly Night? Is that mem? Like, is that the best stuff here? Or should you do the whole movie? I will get to it here, but it, this is the highlight of the movie. I can see why this moment has become a signature thing for comedy on the internet. It's hilarious. It really is. And it gives us an opportunity to jump to the present. I wasn't sure that we would ever get out of the institution. I was not sure that we'd ever have scenes that didn't take place in the present that weren't about Ricky explaining himself to the shrink. But when we pop back, Bloom is dead. He's been choked by his reel-to-reel, and Ricky just kind of walks out of the place. I know this was low budget, but a reel-to-reel in the late 80s, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what that was. Like, Ricky has to stop his story to change the reels? I can tell you, physicians in the late 80s had microcassette. They did not have these big reel-to-reel machines. But, yeah, Bloom does die. And Ricky does get out. I kind of assumed once we got to the modern day, that had to happen. I never thought that it would end with him there. I just kept going back to Halloween. He had to get out of there. I thought this could be the end. I thought credits could roll with Bloom being dead. I literally thought it was the end. And really, there's not much more left to the movie. I think it's an additional five minutes. But there is more. A few more kills here. It's Christmas, for one thing. Who knew? But it's Christmas, and a bell ringer for the Salvation Army or whatever is out there and is the next victim, gives Ricky his suit. And then we see Sister Margaret is back with the police again after so many years. None of them ever left this town or they all moved to L.A. together like Nip Tuck or one of those TV shows where we're going to a new town. Everybody's coming. <laughs> Sister Margaret is there, as is Mother Superior. <laughs> what happened to this chick? Because when last we saw her, we knew about the wheelchair. We knew that she had gotten old, but her face is burned or... Stuart, they explained it. She had a stroke. That stroke face? That's what they said. They said she had a stroke. Sister Margaret said Mother Superior had a stroke and then they cut to her. I thought she had a stroke near the fire and fell in it. <laughs> 
truth be told, they said on the commentary they had to mess up her face because they couldn't get any of the original actors back. Since they were using footage of the original actors earlier in the movie, they just tried to disguise how different this woman looked. Because continuity is really their bag here. I got an idea. Why don't we give her mounds of ghoul makeup and then no one will recognize that it's not the actress from last time. No, we'll all be sitting here going, what the fuck happened to Mother Superior? I don't know if you noticed, but they did this earlier. They replaced all the shots of Ricky during the Billy scenes when he's getting killed with a new actor. So they had continuity with the Ricky who went to the Rosenbaums. There's little Ricky and then there's middle teenage Ricky that kills the guy with the Jeep. And then the guy that they get here at the end looks like a model or something. There is no continuity between these actors. It's hilarious to me the things that they choose to change and focus on. It's crazy. I'm really confused why they couldn't get any of the original actors back as the first one seemed to have killed all their careers. If you were injured in a car accident, would you get out of the hospital and want to go joyriding? I mean, I can understand why someone would get out of the business after making Silent Night, Deadly Night. The mother superior actress from the first one would probably still do interviews to this day about it. It became her thing. But she probably lives in Salt Lake City, truth be told, and they couldn't fly her out. Yeah, (laughs) you might be right. I think all three of us were kind of pissed Mother Superior lived last time. It seemed like that needed to be Billy's revenge, his final comeuppance. If he couldn't find the Santa that raped his mom, at least he could take out Mother Superior. But no, Mother Superior lived. It pissed us all off. Here, we finally get it. And she should have known. I mean, she's a nun living at 666-whatever-street. Yeah, no, that's great. Not only that, but she's confined in a wheelchair upstairs with no, like, lift or anything. Like, whoever put her there hated her, too. I mean, she must have been really unpopular with everybody because, yeah, she's got this moldy face confined upstairs of apartment 666. Billy finds her in the phone book, prank phone calls her, and then comes over to replay the shining axe break-in. I do like one detail. She has a lot of burned-out light bulbs, obviously because she can't stand to change them. (laughs) (laughs) will they correct the mistake of the last film will they finally kill her i'm not convinced they will because they dangled that before me before and then they didn't do it i think that nun killing was just too hot button but they naughty this they do they go for it when sister margaret arrives mother superior is decapitated in her chair and i am damn impressed i'm surprised that he was able to put the head back on the white of the nun outfit and no blood spilled well he's magic (laughs) I would honestly think with the kind of rage that he has built up inside, and obviously we're supposed to think he's mentally insane as he's in an asylum, he's made all these murders and everything. Wouldn't you hack that shit up? Wouldn't (laughs) you just like go to town on that bitch with an axe? I'm telling you, he had no beef with her. He loved her in that original movie. This was all a revision here. I mean, I think he's doing it because he's honoring his brother or something. I mean, this is really one for Billy. It's not because she ever did anything wrong to him. I love that she pulls out a knife, though, and wants a fight. Come and get your punishment. You've been naughty. I mean, that was one of the big fun parts of the first movie is Billy. Naughty. He didn't say it with that much conviction. Punishment. No. No, this is how Ricky would have done it. I'm still in Ricky mode. Is he coming back? Because God, I hope so. I mean, I know they had to put him down. The cops arrive. Bang. Of course, Sister Margaret is not going to get killed. But yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Are we going to get more Ricky? I hope so. I would love to believe that there's another Silent Night with Eric Freeman in it because this creation is great. He's not in the next one. I don't know if Ricky is, but that's what I said in that plot summary or saying, if you will, is Ricky may come back for part three. It ends. He's been shot multiple times, but he's smiling. I hope it's Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 garbage day, but. (laughs) So Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend Silent Night, Deadly Night part two? Marjorie. Okay, I'll admit, watching this movie is incredibly bored. And then I had a lot of fun talking with you and Stuart about it. So I'm going to have to say this might be a recommend. But you can totally skip the first one. You don't have to see the first one. This one takes care of one and two. Eric Freeman's over-the-top performance, he has the same kind of uncalled-for and impotent rage that Starbuck has in the new Battlestar Galactica. Like, you don't know exactly where it's coming from. It's horribly misdirected and poorly acted, but you can't look away. And it was a lot of fun to talk about with you guys. And I think this is kind of one of those movies that's unintentionally funny. And it might be fun to watch in a group, have a few drinks, and just rip the shit out of it. And I'm going to have to recommend it just for the sheer comedy factor. Although I would like to say a little bit of a disclaimer. 
I'm extremely disappointed in the lack of blood and gore in this movie. I love my horror movies. I like innards coming out. I like eyeballs flying. You got all of that here. There was a liver and popping eyes. A liver. A liver. A liver doesn't cut it. That doesn't do anything for me. I like the gory stuff, and this did not deliver that way. It's a very tame horror movie. It'd probably make your kids squeal, I don't know, but I was watching these movies when I was a little girl. But I recommend it just for the sheer fun factor, but you gotta have some witty friends around you to watch it. And if you don't have the witty friends, don't cuddle up with your sweetie on the sofa and watch it on Christmas Eve, because you're gonna really be having to buy her something pretty the next day. Recommend! Good point! Oh, shit. Stuart! You know what this series is turning into? It's like, all right, at the first Christmas, I asked for a BB gun, and I got socks. And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) I didn't want socks. Next year, I unwrap the present. It's the exact same pair of socks. It's not even new socks. It's the same ones with the tags on it from last year. I'm thinking, oh, shit. I'm beyond mad at this point. But then the good news is I also get my BB gun. On one hand, this movie deserves a whole barrel full of coal because it is a complete ripoff. But you know what? I'm going to give it a fruitcake because this is deliciously bad fun. I mean, it is terrible to the point that it is a reward. I definitely think that if you were in the right mindset, unwrapping this is a complete joy and so much better than what they did in the last one. So I'm not doing recommends or not recommends. I'm giving it a fruitcake. I guess you can call that a up arrow, but it is some kind of treat. Three for three. We now have our Christmas. The last one has red arrows and this one has green. <laughs> yes. This is a joy. I also was worried going in. But this movie is a Christmas miracle because it makes up for the last one by giving it to you here. You say a pair of socks, but I would say it's like the first year you're given a toy with some assembly required and the second year they fixed it for you. This movie is a two pack and it's Billy's greatest hits. And it turns out that when you take away all of the maudlin melodrama of the first one, there were good hits in there. I still don't know if it would have been recommendable without Eric Friedman. He is a star of this film. We will see more of him, Stuart. He had an uncredited part as Israel in Children of the Corn. So we will see Eric Friedman again next year. But I cannot imagine that I will get the joy he gives me here. This movie is worth watching, like Marjorie said, for a laugh. The people who made it, didn't know much about horror, don't like horror, just did this movie. And to people who know horror, this is one of the best horror spoofs out there. And what's great is it doesn't even know it's spoofing the genre. It's the innocence by which they tried to make it serious. You said the people directing it on the commentary still aren't laughing. They're still treating this like some card that flashed to get them through the door of Hollywood. The guy who played the shrink was trying to do a stand-up routine about it, and none of the jokes were funny. The other two were just like, this is something we worked on. We're going to tell you about it. If you're listening to this commentary, you must have some reverence for this movie, so we're going to try to do you the solid of being serious about it. And I would also say that it's a great look into the world of Hollywood. I cannot imagine that in the late 80s, they would still be thinking, hey, let's recycle that old crap and call it a new movie. That felt like something you could get away with in the days before VCRs. But that they would even try to do that is astounding and eye-opening and real. This movie is a recommend on multiple levels. It's not a gem, but you gotta see this movie. (laughs) If you can, it is really hard to find. I paid close to $100 for my DVD. What? This is where listener donations go, dear. (laughs) You paid $100 for this shit? I think that recommend just got turned down into a red arrow. $100? Like 80. Well, it it was a double feature. It came with the first one. Yeah, see, it's a deal. It's not a deal. Don't help out, Stuart. I didn't buy groceries, but I did buy one and two Silent Night, Deadly Night. Well, Marjorie Stewart, thank you for joining me. I am so glad that we got this present of a movie. And I am just hoping that next week is as madcap and chaotic as this. I don't know if it's Ricky, Billy, a nun, a Santa, a Christmas elf, but Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, better watch out. And you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Now playing, we'll be back next week.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Cheer up. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve, and things are only going to get better. If you enjoyed this podcast, head to our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, to hear the other reviews in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Let me tell you about Christmas. It ain't all candy canes and pretty lights. As well as other horror movie reviews, such as the Halloween movies, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, House of a Thousand Corpses, and more. You tend to get paranoid when everyone around you gets dead. We also have non-horror movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, The Avengers, Rambo, Rocky, and more. That sounds like an enterprise of great pith. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it live or is it Memorex? While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You will talk. I will listen. But then you know that. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. So where are you going to go? The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You have to come up sometime. And when you do, I'll be waiting for you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. <laughs> Give a dollar for the kitties. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Put the money in the bag. Now Playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night is edited by Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. What are you, masochist or something? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I'm finished talking, Henry. The Silent Night, Deadly Night films are the property of their individual studios and stakeholders, and no infringement is intended. Too many people get away with shit like that. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. There is no logical explanation. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. It's over! Time to get shit-faced! <laughs>But when we see Billy going after Leanna Hughes, I mean, I was torn. I kind of wanted to see those tits again, but I <laughs> didn't see it as germane to you the story. L- You're talking about Linnea Quigley? Ah, Leanna Quigley. Punish! Ricky's first kill is stopping a date rape. Was that his first kill? Yeah, wasn't it? No. Oh, you're right, you're right, it was, you're right. There were so many rapes in that last one. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was rape I was like, no, he never stopped his mother. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, those weren't being raped. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that. <laughs> yeah, his mother was a rape, not a date rap. <laughs> Andy and the Pamela, yeah. Naughty. <laughs> you just put him in the white room, and he should be very docile. Just so long as it's not the white room with red curtains. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's an obscure classic rock callback for you. Who who even sings that song? I don't even know what song um, it is. It's on Freedom Straits, Rock, isn't it? No. I believe that's Moody Blues. Yes, that's okay, it. Thank you. It's in the black room with white curtains, isn't it? Yeah. No, no. In a white room with, with black, black curtains. curtains. That's no, it's not. Are they red? There's no red in it. Yeah, I think that was your uh, artistic license on that, Arnie. Oh, it was black curtains. God damn it. And it was cream. Oh. <laughs> All before our time. Well, now that we've got that settled, <laughs> did anyone ever figure out Stairway to Heaven? <laughs> Carpet Day!